Forgive my compromised sense of humor. I did want to answer our host question. Jude Law is he's, he's one of our finest actors. Hello and welcome to Law School, a podcast about Jude Law. Thank goodness. Finally, there is one. I'm Fran Hoffner. I'm Caroline Simons. And we're two adult women who love Jude Law. And that's that. What'd you do on your Saturday? We did this. We, We started this podcast like most people start podcasts, which is by sending a text saying, should we have a podcast? I love to text Fran both at work and not at work. Mm hmm. This came out of one of those. Yeah, absolutely. So we're here. And we're doing it. We're going to go by uh, Jude Law movies. Each episode's going to be a new movie. They're not going to be in chronological order. Who has the time? We don't need it and you don't need it. And if you do need it, log off. Go elsewhere. If it's your experience that you saw Jude Law's um, career in chronological order, congratulations. But that's not the case with us because we're young and nubile. Yeah, you're old if you did that. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. Are you saying you because I said nubile? No, I'm saying ew because they're old. Yeah, okay, I agree. Get I agree out. that youth is beauty. <laughs> That's a tried and true fact. Absolutely. Through the ages, we have agreed youth is beauty. Mm-hmm. Fran, uh, speaking of beauty, what was the first Jude Law film you ever saw? The first Jude Law film I ever saw was Nancy Meyers' 2006 movie, The Holiday. Really? Which I am almost legally not allowed to talk about on mic anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, we will let you do it at some point, but that I can't believe that was the first one because he'd had a career. Like, yeah, but I'm, but I'm so young, you know. So I would have been 15, but there was no reason for me to have seen like The Aviator yet or AI. Like I was a full child. Well, drag me because the first film I ever saw with Jude Law in it was The Aviator. That's amazing. Where he plays Errol Flynn and steals the show. Yeah, I really think, and. People will know this from our theme song, but I actually feel like my first exposure to Jude Law was that Oscars joke. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because that, that is 2005. That's 2005. For the 2004 season in 2005, Chris Rock has a fantastic monologue bit and noted um, not funny person Sean Penn mm-hmm. will not take the joke because acting no. is only serious, never fun. Exactly. And so I feel like Sean Penn saying that, I was just like, oh, I agree that Jude Law is the <laughs> finest actor. If Sean says it. If Sean says it, he was so serious. It's I, like, why? I'm 14, I take my cues from Sean Penn. Absolutely. And I've just sort of gone ahead with that um, way to live my life. Good, um, solid. But we're not here to talk about the holiday. Or Sean Penn. Or Sean Penn. <laughs> or the aviator. We'll get, well, to, we'll get to all of that. Please, I would like to. Um, we're here today to talk about the Jude Law film that sort of really launches Jude into the public eye, which is The Talented Mr. Ripley. It's such a good movie. It's a great movie. And you're right. It's the first time the general public, like, all together recognizes, like, oh, this is a movie star. We're going to see more of him. Yes. He's fabulous. Before that, Jude Law's an actor. Yeah. He's, like, getting work at this point. He's, like... Jude books. Jude books work? Mm Mm-hmm. Gigs. Gigs. He are gigs. They, are they are they gigs in film? Have you ever had a gig? Uh in film or just in general? In general. Have you yeah, I've gig? gigged. I've gigged. I'm gig I'd love to I love to be like I'm gigging this weekend. You do? Is this a gig? Yeah, this is a gig. Damn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So Jude's gigging, but he's not a star. Movie comes out, and every single you know review, critical reception of the time of the film obviously focuses a lot on Matt Damon, focuses a lot on Anthony Mangello, who had done English Patient right before this. But they all have a little, you know, in their in their paragraph where they have to run through the plot for posterity's sake. And when they get to Dickie Greenleaf, the character played by Jude Law, there's like a lengthy parenthetical, like, by the way, this guy's a star. We're going to see more of them. Like everyone has to stop their review in their tracks to be like, oh, by the way, Jude Law, like he's coming back. He's gorgeous. He's tan. They all mention that he's tan. I Every, mean, he's tan. Everyone's he's so tan. For Jude there's a in line movie. in the movie. I mean, he calls Matt Damon pale. You're so white. You ever see a guy so white, March? <laughs> Gray, actually. He calls Matt Damon pale. Matt Damon is wearing a neon yellow Speedo at the time. Yeah. Incredible wardrobe choice. Absolutely. I also feel like calling someone pale is also just a way to say that you yourself are tan. Yeah. It's really like it reflects more on the speaker than it does the actual pale Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm. So Ripley comes out, 1999, directed by Anthony Mangella, and this is a big deal. Anthony Mangella has just won the Oscar for directing English Patient. Anthony Mangella um, is asked to step in and write Ripley when production for English Patient stalls. So um, he's asked by Sidney Pollock's production company to adapt this book. He loves it so much, he says, will you hold on this material and let me direct it when I'm done with this project? English Patient gets put back into production uh, it sweeps award season. It's a big hit. He can choose anything. He says, I want to do Ripley. And everyone in the movie had kind of signed on to the movie before they had their big breakthrough. So Matt Damon had agreed to be in it before Goodwill Hunting came out. Gwyneth Paltrow had agreed to be in it before she got her Oscar for Shakespeare in Love. And Jude Law had been asked to be in it. He turned down the role and Anthony Mangella has to go to him on some weird B thriller he was doing in London at the time and convince him to be Dickie Greenleaf because Jude Law didn't want to be a role that was too handsome. This is interesting to me for like a hundred reasons. The first the first of which is because if you look at the book, it is really just a handsome guy. I can see like why he would think that. Like imagine me showing you the book of uh-huh. Talented Mr. Ripley okay. instead I'm, sh- I'm shaking a copy of The Wife to have Fran's a- reading The Wife. Yeah. I'm reading The Wife by Meg Walzer. Don't um, forget. Uh, but Dickie Greenleaf is in 50 pages of That's it? like a 250 page book. It is like a minor hot guy role. But right. when you want someone like Jude in it, then you've sort of elevated the hot guy. So I write for a publication called Brightwall Dark Room. And one of the senior editors, Lauren Wilford, just did this thread on Twitter about actors who have this sort of uh, too hot to trust. Great. Talk energy. about that more because I really yeah definitely yeah in that I'm hot and I and I don't trust you don't trust me absolutely Thank and you. so I think well so when she put that Twitter thread up I immediately thought of a Zac Efron type which is Zac he's very hot he's very jacked mm-hmm. true I think when Zac is at his best is something like Neighbors when his <laughs> hotness is weaponized like mm-hmm. you hate him and the fact that he's hot means you hate him even more. Right. Like you're leaning into it. Absolutely. You're not and ignoring that he's hot. You're, you're like, not. It's you not about the fact that right. he's hot. Which is why something like We Are Your Friends, <laughs> a movie that I have seen, oh, yeah? uh, me and four other people, uh-huh. um, that movie doesn't work because there's no irony to Zac Efron's hotness. And you're like, I don't want to root for this 
Right. Got- it's like in question, like, is he going to succeed? It's like, obviously. Like, he yeah. looks like a guy who He's will like be accepted. conventionally and- attractive, hot, white DJ. And it's like, is he going to be a successful DJ and get the girl? It's like, yeah, is he going to probably date Emily Ratajkowski? Emily, yeah. She's like, meet me by the Ferris wheel. That's what they're always Come saying. Come on. They really? repeat that line like six times in the movie. Is it's this- all I remember. It's in California? Yeah, but they go to Vegas. Where there's Is there a, a Ferris fa- wheel? Yeah. Is it Electric Daisy Carnival? Yeah. No. I think so. Electric Daisy Carnival, the movie. I don't know why I'm acting surprised. Obviously, that's that movie. Why yeah. did I expect anything else? Right. Oh, my God. So, Talented Mr. Ripley kind of becomes Jude Law's neighbors, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> is you take this character who you're not supposed to trust and maybe not supposed to like, but... It, and the hotness of Jude. Oh, let's just say it, Jude Law's hot. We got to talk about that. I think it's why we like to talk about Jude. I mean, the man's gorgeous, and we, there's really no two ways around it. And He's I got th- a crazy hairline. Oh my god, it's always fluctuating, and he always pulls it off. Honey, you are fine just the way you are. Yeah, I do want to because you're listening. <laughs> you're <laughs> we fine. accept you. We think you look amazing. Any haircut, even Anna Karenina, I think even you look good. Anna Karenina. Also. The appeal to us of doing this podcast is so many people, ourselves included, know who Jude Law is, but know him as a celebrity movie star. And a lot of people know about Jude Law, but if you kind of are like, well, what movies is he in? Not like in a way to, you know, put them on the spot. Like people know that he's a star, but don't necessarily know his filmography, except for the later career stuff where he's getting these character roles and they're all kind of a nod and a wink to here's a celebrity doing character actory stuff. Yeah. He's a main man doing character lads. Right. We don't even think about that sort of 2004 stretch. Right. Anymore. And now it feels insane. Right. To be so prominent in that many movies in one year and mm-hmm. not be a sort of like flash in the pan type that he was able yes. to really keep going after that, especially because a lot of those movies do, are flops. Right. Are Alfie flops. flops, Sky Captain flops. Or just like don't hold up. Like Cold Mountain, you watch it now, it is outrageous. Great. Classic. Classic mm. flick. Oh my God. Classic flick. But this Ripley, is a role. Ripley, Ripley holds up. Amazing. And as we said, this is the movie people watch it and they're like, okay, this guy's a star because he is cast properly in a role where we're not he's ignoring too that hot he's hot. To trust. And then Anthony Mangella, if we go back to. He goes to set. He talks to Jude Law on the set of this different movie. And he's like, you want to be in Ripley. It's not just a hot guy role. I've written it to not just be a hot guy role. The whole movie banks on everyone wants to be Dickie Greenleaf, the character that Jude Law plays. But you don't want to be someone if they're just hot. You have to bring a lot more to it. And that's what Anthony says to Jude Law. It's like, you're not just going to be hot. You're going to be... You're going to love jazz. You're going to... Oh, my God. He's going to want to learn the drums. He's going to want to learn the drums, even Uh though he already knows the sax. Mm -hmm. He loves to go out on a boat. Yeah. He's, He's mean to his girlfriend, but loves her. I love Marge. What every man wants. Oh, my God. I love Marge. He's like mad about it. I love Marge. He's like, you dingus. I love hearing Jude say Marge. 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 So just to address the Chris Rock um, Mm. map, uh, Jude is American Mm -hmm. and straight, question mark, in this movie. Yeah. I know. I'm not. I'm Bis- not saying bisexual question mark. I'm not, I, yeah, I'm not a hard yes on straight. That's what my. I don't want to be a gatekeeper for Dickie Greenleaf, <laughs> um, but he probably is straight. Yeah, 
But like, I I think he he probably like hooked up with a guy in his frat at Princeton. Yeah. Like Definitely. a couple times, and he's and like, then it's was not rude gay, to him. right? Like, mm. it, like turned it on him. Too hot to trust, right? Like, if you hook up with him, it's about you, mm-hmm. right? Right? It's not it about says, him. Yeah, you can't get to him. He, he, he is walls up, walls up, walls up, baby. That's his undoing. No, his undoing is he. Yeah, he thinks he is too rich and powerful for anyone to actually harm him, and then someone he considers boring uh, whaps him with an oar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Scary death scene. Oof. Shocking. Okay, so Talented Mr. Ripley, 1999 film, but based on a 1955 novel by Patricia Highsmith. And I'll say it, I read books. I love that about you. Thank you so much. Thank you for keeping the medium alive. Absolutely. I think Mm. it's the most important medium Mm. besides Jude Law films. (laughs) Right. Um, So Jude Law does not play the titular Ripley. We should say. We should say that. Tom Ripley is played by Matt Damon who is this low-level New York scammer. Essentially, uh, Herbert Greenleaf Sr. comes across the charming Ripley at a party for Princeton grads, and he's like, I'll pay you $1,000 if you go get my hot fuck-up son back to New York from Italy, where he's been on permanent vacation. Uh, Ripley takes $1,000. He did not go to Princeton. He's been scamming this whole time. It's hard to think of a worse party than for Princeton alums. Oh, my God. Miss me with that. As they, as they say. It's I think it's funny to drag Princeton. Honestly, yeah, they're doing fine. Mm-hmm. It's, it's punching up. Princeton's like a fog. America's like a fog. <laughs> they say, go get my hot fuck-up son, bring him back to New York to run the business. Uh, Matt Damon Ripley gets on a boat, first class, thanks to the Greenleafs, shows up in Italy where he tracks down and befriends Dickie Greenleaf Jude Law. And from there they have... Uh, the classic kind of friendship we all want, which is where a rich person keeps us around because we sort of make them laugh, but at any time they could say something so cutting and unkind. I don't remember him. <laughs> That's so funny. First shot Blonde. of Jude Law is seen through binoculars, and he is on a beautiful boat. Oh, yeah, his boat named Bird. His after, boat named Bird after jazz. After jazz. Literally. Great movie about pretending to like jazz, so a hot person will talk to you. <laughs> Yeah, this is a movie for I once went on a Tinder date with, like, an Austrian grad student. He Mm -hmm. was like, can we go to a jazz club? And I was like, definitely. (laughs) You said definitely? I thought the story would be like, no. No, I went because I was, like, sad. Did you have to pretend to know where a jazz club was? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely did. Did you, like, Google it under the table jazz in Google Maps? Uh, well, this was like we were arranging the date. So I was, like, on Tinder and my phone, but then looking up jazz clubs on my computer. And then went to a jazz club for like four hours. What? And then he was like, okay, you can go home now. So I guess he just wanted company <laughs> to see jazz. It's Look, 2014 was really dark. And I'm not saying it was worse yeah. then than it is now because it's definitely worse now. I mean, but it have also you spent was four hours listening to jazz this year? Not yet. All right. Not yet. It could happen. Let's keep Fran safe, everyone. Keep me safe. Um, protect me. You like jazz? I love jazz. Oh, oh. This is the best. Baker, Rollins. Mark says she likes jazz, but she thinks Glenn Miller's jazz. I never said that. Perry Coma. Bird, that's jazz. Bird, ask me the name of my sailboat. I don't know. What's the name of your sailboat? Look, look, Bird. Which is ridiculous. Boats are female. Everyone knows you can't call a boat after a man. The big thing to know about Dickie Greenleaf in this narrative is that he has a his his girlfriend Marge Sherwood 
played by Gwyneth Paltrow, yes, who indeed. is a writer. This is Marge Sherwood. Um, sorry, what is it? Ripley. How do you do? How do you do, Marge? So Ripley sort of ingratiates his himself into the life of this couple. Yeah. Dickie Greenleaf being someone who has had such an easy life rather than seeing someone that who is clearly somewhat psycho and off kilter rather than cutting them out of his life. He's kind of like, you entertain me. I'll keep you around. No one can touch me. I'm Dickie Greenleaf. Yeah, it is two hot blonde, two hot, rich blonde people bringing on a guy with glasses to sort of make them laugh because he does impressions. Okay, do an impression. Now? When I saw that, I saw this movie only for the first time this past fall, and I and I told you it is a movie about blonde culture. This is blonde culture, the film. So we should talk about him, his sort of level of creepiness and sort of the homoeroticism because yes. the Clark Kent scene. The, yeah, let's talk Clark Kent scene. Dicky and uh, Tom have this night out together where they go see some jazz, Ugh. Uh, and they sing. Is it No Speak Americano? Yeah, as someone who doesn't know. Jazz. That's the one where the only they just say Americano. Yeah, lot. definitely. It's one song that I only know from EDM remixes. Shut up. So I can't really speak to its original form, but it is wild to hear a jazz song and be like, "Oh, I know this from electronic dance yeah, music." Yeah, speak to the EDM form, if not the jazz I'm, one. Yeah, I will not speak anymore about my um, love of EDM. But Amazing that you already brought up "We Are Your Friends" and thought I'd let that go. All right, <laughs> um, but they they come back and uh, Tom has his glasses off and Dickie tries them on, and now. Yeah, and here's the this thing. This is all done in like close-ups, by the way. It's all done in close-ups, and let me just say, and this is from having seen The Holiday as my first Jude movie, True. which is also a role where Jude wears glasses. Oh, he's daddy. Yeah, he's da- Yeah, he's daddy. Um, when Jude puts on glasses, it's fucking over for me. You know, <laughs> like I'm done. I'm out. So he puts on Tom's glasses like as a little joke, and mm-hmm. I'm like. I'm canceled. Like, I got to go home. I got to turn off the movie. That's like the ultimate flirting, by the way. Putting on glasses like when you hot, don't wear glasses. Like a hot gla- person taking your glasses. Yes, and putting them, them on and being like, how do I look? And it's like, still right. hot. You're hot. Incredible. Yeah. Marriage. Beautiful. On and so spot. when he takes them off, he says, how do I look? And Matt and Tom Ripley says, like Superman. Like Superman. How do I look? <laughs> like Clark Kent. <laughs> now Superman. But like that, yes. He says it more like that. Ugh. Ugh. Oh, he's ruined. We're all ruined. We're all sure. ruined. So we have – the film complicates Ripley's sexuality in a pretty interesting way, whereas I feel the Ripley in the book is sort of um, living this maybe not even quite fully closeted gay life. Like it's implied he has had relationships with men and he is pretty like unambiguously attracted to men. I think what's interesting about the book is – Tom Ripley hates Marge. We hate Marge. Oh, Marge is so annoying. She's so nosy from like, yeah, second one. It's like Marge sucks. Whereas I think a really powerful and great thing about the film is that we get a lot of humanity to Marge. Right. Because she takes pity on him. She takes pity on him. And he also um, he tries to like win Marge over to sort of flirt with Dickie in that scene where. They're trying to decide if with the allowance that Dickie's father has given Tom, if they should buy a car or an icebox. Right. She has the practical thing of we need an icebox. And as she brings up to Dickie, Dickie, you can't even drive. Amazing character Amazing. point. Yeah. He can't type. He uses two, like, 
two fingers, like he's playing chopsticks to type on a typewriter. Princeton idiot. Idiot. Um, <laughs> he can't drive. He can't drive. Thank God he's hot. I mean, it all hammers home. Thank God he's hot and charming. Yeah. And so, but she has that line where she goes, you know, if you say Icebox, Tom, I'm going to love you forever. And he says Icebox sort of to like win over Marge and to kind of rile Dickie up a little right. bit. He's flirting with Dickie. Would have not happened in the book. He mm. like, he hates Marge so much. So we get this kind of like nag role. Yeah. But it is a much more... um you know, condensed and narrow focus on the Ripley POV, which is this sort of misogynistic gay man. Yeah, which is, yeah, which is a less, I mean, it's definitely a lot more complex and interesting to have him, like, playing her affections to get to Dickie than just, like, cut it off as, like, obviously I hate her, I want to marry Dickie. Marge, Marge, what do you think? Little cinquecento of my dad's money. Oh, please, Dickie, you can't even drive a car. You can't even drive. Now, what we need urgently, Tom, is an ice box. What do you think? Agree with me and I'll be your friend for life. I absolutely agree with Marge. Yeah, absolutely. And in every interaction in the book, it's been a little while since I read the book, but in every interaction, it's always like Dickie proposing something they do and Tom immediately being like, let's not invite Marge. Let's like not involve Marge in this. Whereas it feels a little more organic in the film. Like sometimes Marge is there, sometimes she's not. And when they bring it up later where he where he's very much overstepping his welcome um, when he starts to wear on Dickie. He also says, like, oh, the Marge problem. And then Dickie picks up on immediately, like, what are you talking about? That's my fiance. Like, it's already Absolutely. in a realm where you feel nervous watching because, you know, Dickie's catching on to Tom Ripley. Tom Ripley's very egregiously overstaying his welcome as a guest. It is, like, skin-crawlingly awful to watch how impolite he is being. Absolutely. And then he further oversteps by calling Marge a problem, and that immediately sets off Dickie. I love Marge. Yeah. And by that time, their relationship is just starting to dissolve. Speaking of, should we talk about Philip? Frederico! Como estás? Yeah, let's talk about Phil. Ugh. Phil's perfect line, don't you want to fuck every woman you see just once? Yeah. Sort of an interesting theory. Oh, God. Don't you want to fuck every woman you see just once? And it's given, like... As he literally is like it's crossing, a throwaway. He's yeah. crossing frame. He exits frame on that note, and you're like, "Wait, who?" Yeah. So um, Philip Seymour Hoffman plays Freddie Miles. Oh who's, my god, he's um, perfect. He's perfect. He's like uh, the gross friend. Yes, the he's gross. The, he's like, the fun one of limited morality, but he's so fun to have around. We don't care. Yeah, but he's disgusting. And this is one where in the book it's sort of like, "Yep, Freddie's annoying," and Philip Seymour Hoffman just like. Nails it. Nails it and really, like, ratchets up the grossness of this character. The voice. Yeah, the little, like, the lazy voice, like, this gross, licentious, like, hedonistic friend. Absolutely. Who immediately is suspicious of Tom because Tom is not fun for him. I mean, hey, if I'm late, think what her husband's saying. (laughs) (laughs) You look gorgeous. As always. (laughs) Yeah. Dickie likes having people in his orbit fawning over him who he can, like, call up. But for Freddie, it's like, this guy's dead weight. Also, he's weird. And he immediately, like a bully, just picks at Ripley because he's like the most vulnerable person in this scenario. Absolutely. And I think what both the novel and the film do a great job is, is that sort of that wealthy person objectification of lower class people, which is like, I want you around when you're of service to me, when you're making me laugh or when I c- you can be a vessel to which I can speak to. But the second you're not useful, I want nothing to do with right. you. It's like a switch, like on and off. Totally. And so 
which brings us also, if it's too quick to jump around, to uh, as Marge so articulately puts it to Ripley. <laughs> I had this crazy moment when I was rewatching the film yesterday where there's this beautiful line that Marge gives to Tom on a day when Dickie is being sort of rude, which in which she says about Dickie, it's like the sun shines on you and it's glorious and then he forgets you and it's very, very cold, which is a stunning line. Also delivered on a boat. Delivered on a boat mm. um, uh, while Freddie and Dickie are frolicking in the water. Yeah, um, they're friends. They're friends. Mm. That line, I was like, that line is stunning. It seems very familiar to me. And I, and it took me a couple minutes to figure out. And then I realized it's very similar to an iconic line from an equally important piece of American canon, which is the post-divorce interview Jennifer Garner gives no. about Ben Affleck to Vanity Fair from no. a couple of years ago. And here's here. This is a Jennifer Garner quote. He's the most this is about Ben Affleck, by the way. He's the most brilliant person in any room, the most charismatic, the most generous. He's just a complicated guy. I always say when his sun shines on you, you feel it. But when the sun is shining elsewhere, it's cold. He can cast quite a shadow. Okay, what the fuck? Um, Oh, no. That's in the article? That's in the article. She doesn't attribute it to Highsmith or Ripley or anything. No, no, no. She attributes it to I always say. Um, And then what someone told me on Letterboxd, and it is true, is that Gwyneth was dating Ben Affleck. At yes. the time that this was being filmed. so Right, because they had met on Shakespeare in Love. Mm-hmm. Obviously, great to start a romance on a successful film where you win your Oscar. You love that, yeah. And she goes right into filming this. She's filming on location in Italy. She's So Ben Affleck sees Ripley because it's his girlfriend's movie. And his best friend's movie. And his best friend's movie. Yeah. And then tells that quote to Jennifer Garner when they get married. And then when they get to <laughs> – by the time they're divorced, it's something she always says. <laughs> right? What if she – what if she actually did attribute it to Ben Affleck and that's why she didn't want to reveal the source of where it's from? Like she doesn't know it's in Ripley. She just attributes it to Ben Affleck. It's like so wild to think that any quote said about a character Jude Law would play could be attributed to Ben Affleck. I'm just oh, like those yeah. guys are – I like Ben Affleck yeah, as but an he actor. Wishes. But it's like yeah, oh, he cool, wishes. chill out. Um, <laughs> but that's the iconic interview where she also is oh, like I refuse to be the ashes. You know, yes, in like the Phoenix yes. metaphor, but yeah, right. I just could not, I could not believe the similarities of wow. those two lines. That's exactly what that's from. The thing with Dickie, it's like the sun shines on you and it's glorious. And then he forgets you and it's very, very cold. So I'm learning. I had to like do a lap. Around my apartment. My heart is pounding. It's so sad to think about that. So then is Matt Damon sort of the Freddie Miles of if we I, don't have to get <laughs> Speaking of rich person things, Dickie Greenleaf never re-wears a pair of sunglasses in this movie. Is that true? Every single scene. He has the most incredible pair of like tortoise shell aviators that he wears in the scene um, where... It's I a scene have where, to get prescription sunglasses. You have to get tortoiseshell aviators. <laughs> yeah. I mean, What's all your, of outfits. Yeah, can we talk briefly about outfits? Yeah, we really have to. Um, I mean, my favorite look Dickie Greenleaf has is a, like, mesh yellow uh, collared short sleeve shirt that he buttons once, like, mm-hmm. right above the navel, and he makes espresso wearing this shirt. Incredible. Yeah, that's the shirt you wear. That is the dream. 
Honestly, shades, shades of um, Army Hammer in Call Me By Your Name. Absolutely. I know we're 20 years apart, but like, The look for summer 2019 is mesh shirt button with one button. You pick the button. You pick the button. Top, middle, bottom. That's you you putting your spin on it. Yeah, Absolutely. But it's the same sort of Oliver, Oliver, Oliver effect. It Um, is. I'm very partial to the all navy suit that he's wearing at one point when they're like running errands in town and I think he's got and one he's of got his, the hat. He's yeah, got the flat, hat. Flat hats. And we're not even mad about it. We're like, of course, no. put the hat on. Yes. Put it on. Yes. Usually when I see a hat, I'm enraged. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but in this, I'm sort of like, fair enough. Yeah. I'm like, oh, the it does complete bright. the look. Yeah. Congrats. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. We also get a couple of scenes with him in a tux, obviously. Of course. Every rich he's, person's got one. Right. If you go to outdoor jazz, wear the tux. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. I love when he says he wants to play the drums. He's like, I'm giving up the sex and I'm playing the drums. He Rich walks, people love to get a new hobby. He walks away from the table, has his back to Ripley and just starts screaming. I'm thinking of giving up the sax. What do you think about the drums? What? So cool. I'm going to run a boat tomorrow. Take a look around. It's like he's yelling over the drums. Yeah. Incredible. It's so funny. Talk about he being bored of the conversation. So much. Yeah like terrible life to this character you know do you know the best thing also from that scene so the scene where he says he wants to play the drums uh the beginning of that is he confronts ripley but in this way where he maintains his cool and his charm he's not riled about it but he is like you didn't even go to princeton i think you're lying i don't think anything about you is true but he's not even annoyed about it because nothing can annoy him did i know you at princeton tom i don't think i did did i why are you asking all of a sudden? No reason. Because you're leaving, I guess. I don't think you were there. Yeah. It doesn't even matter because it's, it's not – he's not – they're not on the same, like, level. Yeah, he's untouchable. plane of existence. Exactly. It's like what a frivolous little problem and now I will cut you out of my life. Absolutely. And he's calling Ripley out on the lie if only because he and Marge had a bet. Then I'll take it as a compliment. I knew it. I knew it. Marge and I had a bet. He's just a game to them. Right. He's like, he's totally just an amusement. And that's why he's so annoyed when he won't go away. He's Mm -hmm. like, I've been done with you. I've said it in every way possible. Now you are making me yell at you here out on the boat. Yeah. R.I.P. R.I.P. I love Marge. Oh, I should have said this up top, but I didn't. Uh, We got spoilers abound for Ripley. Honestly, that's a given, first of all. Yeah, it's a given. If you haven't seen it, that's now, it's a 20-year-old movie now. Honestly. But the midpoint of this movie is an incredible scene um, where we lose Jude Law, tragically. <laughs> we lose him. We lose him. It's left on an island. Yeah. Oh, but so much <laughs> He's worse. He's marooned. It is worse. Uh, the midway point of this movie, the iconic scene where Ripley kills Dickie in a somewhat of an accident, but a moment of passion, and in ways it's inevitable because he's wanted to be Dickie from the get-go. Yeah, they get into a fella's spat on a rowboat. Where the ultimate insult is lobbied at Ripley by Dickie, which is that you're boring. You're boring. But she is. You can be quite boring. Yeah, he is boring. Oh, God, is he ever. And he keeps needling him with it, where... Ripley's trying to talk. Ripley's trying to say his side of the story. And underneath, there's just a little undercurrent of Dickie going, boring, boring. Boring. I've been absolutely honest with you about my feelings. Boring. 
It's so painful. Um, and then Tom picks up an oar of the rowboat and cracks it over Dickie's head. Right. And it is – there's not a ton of violence in this movie, but no. it is a really violent scene. Yeah. It's really gross and very upsetting and so effectively so. It's really violent. There hasn't been this kind of violence in the movie at all. And it's not hinted at that it'll come. There's no foreshadowing well, to it. What? I know enough to know not to get on a boat with my one friend. <laughs> Don't get on a boat with one friend. Everyone stay out of the water. Yeah. In general. Nothing good happens there. Like all the movies where bad stuff happens on the water. So many. Yeah. Serenity. Serenity. Did you see Serenity? Yeah. I What's saw the s- twist? Tell me. <laughs> I want it. On air? Yeah, I don't give a shit. It's a. Oh, no. It's his. No. But his. What? Yeah. What do you mean? I think he's. But his. And so it's like. Sander, if you didn't want to hear that, I'm so sorry. What? <laughs> um. Is there? The thing really? is, I saw it really stoned. So like 20 minutes in, I was like, oh, it's. A <laughs> I was like, yeah, I got it. Because oh <laughs> I was in that headspace where I was like, what What would be the stupid thing that this is? And then I was like, yeah, I absolutely got it. Wow. So look, don't go on the water, especially if the only person that knows you're on the water is in the boat with you mm-hmm. and a sociopath. Yeah. Don't you think it's sad? What's happened to the water? That's how you get. That's how you get smacked with an oar. Not victim blaming. Not victim blaming. Saying this is a precarious situation. I'm saying you got to be aware in this world. A lot of bad people out there with oars. Mm-hmm. Jude Law in the filming of this uh, breaks a rib in this scene. That from the oar sounds smack. horrible. <laughs> Which also it's like because he doesn't get smacked in the ribs. He gets smacked in the face. So it makes you think that maybe Matt Damon was trying to Ripley him in real life. <laughs> I mean, just a thing to consider. Don't trust Matt. Don't trust blondes, as we know. Don't trust blondes. Speaking of blondes with broken ribs, hmm. I've been rewatching Lord of the Rings, and there's like a whole featurette about how Orlando Bloom fell off a horse at one point and like cracked his rib. Which is this like an extended edition? Yeah, I think they talk about Which this one? on the Two Towers DVD. Okay. And how he just like would not stop complaining about this. And on one hand, I do think cracking a rib is probably like one of the most painful things. Yeah. And on the other hand, it's so funny to watch a bunch of like. British men dunk on Orlando Bloom. <laughs> Especially like Orlando Bloom when he's t- 24. I like, did they do like a really good edit where it's just everyone like bam, 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 yes, bam, yes, bam, yes, bitch, yes. bitch, 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 yes, bitch, yes, yes, and doing all their impressions of him being like, I'm fine. <laughs> no, like a whispery, yeah. like a willowy, like, I think I got the black lung pop. Yeah. But it's Orlando Bloom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love extended edition so much. I only had extended edition of Return of the King. This is off base, but I'll say it. I, I only had uh, that All extended three. edition. All yeah. three, baby. Well, I borrowed the other two from my friends. It was like we each bought one because mm. we're in middle school and we don't mm-hmm. have money. Mm-hmm. They're uh, my dads. Oh, that's, that is cool. Cool dad. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You know what my dad is reading right now? Hmm. The Wife. <laughs> book Club. Book Club. New York Times Hoffner Book Club. Book Club. Yeah. Oh, Sorry. New York He's Times in New York Book Times Club. Book Club. I'm in my own Hofner Book Club. Yeah, you're in the Hofner Book Club. Which is, I just Club. read every book my dad reads. And you and you call, like, hey, dad, did you read this? And he's like, yep. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Conference me in. Okay. Yeah, I haven't read The Wife, but I can. Well, then, okay. I love Marge. Um, speaking of good time, Jude mm-hmm. Law gets an Oscar nomination. He does for this. That is this is, true. like, a, a profoundly good supporting role. 
Yes. I love to get cranked up about category fraud around the Oscars every year. and Right, when they shoehorn in. Who? I want to see. Can you see who he loses to? Yeah, that's what I really want to see. Um, um, oh, my God. Wait. Oh, tell me first. Okay. Here's – these are – I mean, this is an amazing set. Of nominees. Oh, I yeah. Read all, read all of them. Then I want to guess who beats out. OK. Jude I'm going to read them in alphabetical order. OK. You've got Michael Caine in The Cider House Rules. You oh. have Tom Cruise in Magnolia. Cool. You have Michael Clark Duncan in The Green Mile. Jude Law, Talented Mr. Ripley. And rounding it out, you have Haley Joel Osment for The Sixth Sense. <laughs> That's tough. I've seen four out of five of these. Is it Michael Caine? Who wins? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't yeah. seen that. It's fine. It's another – I mean, that's also a Miramax thing. Another like – Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the last thing I guess we want to talk about is the status of Jude Law's hairline in this movie. Not Lush. Per- lush. Not particularly interesting because it is natural and beautiful. For sure. Any any look is good. Any look is good. He He's- seems self-conscious about it. I say ease up on yourself. It's good. Absolutely. It's blonde. Mm. It's beautiful. It is. It's curly. Ugh. That was a that was an ugh of disgust of how he pulls no, it I off know. time and time again. It's incredible. Yeah. In the future, his hairline will become increasingly more confusing. Sinusoidal. It's like kind of curvy. Oh sure. Yeah yeah. You That's know? a new word for me, but I'm going to take it with me. It's like to calc. grad school. Yeah, go to school. It's with like that. calc. Yeah. You like calculus. Calculus. It's we abbreviate <laughs> it here in my corner in Brooklyn. Oh okay. Yeah, here in Brooklyn also we call it calc. All right, interesting. So we have a normal, attractive. The I guess blonde, I should normalize. Hair, the blonde hair is. It's fine up to go bald. You. It's like it's, it's just like Jude's hair. He Jude keeps trying to fix it, and I want to be like, "You're okay." And it's also like, of all people, it's like you're still gonna pull it off, whatever it is. Like, don't worry about it. Yeah, like, don't worry about it. You are not your hairline. When he gets his like hair plugs, which is Ugh. like what he has now, and yeah. he looks fine now. He but, looks fine, but it is sort of. I keep waiting for – do you remember in Arrested Development when Tobias gets hair plugs and his head just won't stop bleeding? I'm, like, so afraid I'm going to see Jude Law's head bleed like and not in the Ripley his, way. Like mopping his brow during a Colbert interview. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And it's just, like, full blood. It is – I mean, really the testament to Jude Law is that he can pull off hair plugs. You're not – yeah. And that's what we want to talk about. <laughs> In this podcast. This is why we call it Law School. We're learning about Jude Law. I hope you all took extensive notes um, we in are, class. Absolutely. At school. There will be a quiz at the end of the season. Oh, yeah. That'd be kind of fun. I we'll figure that, that out later. We want to thank Sandra Randall, our producer, Karen Hahn for our cover art, and Ben Kling for our incredible theme song featuring the voices of Chris Rock and Sean Penn at the Oscars in 2005. Subscribe. Review. It's the law, baby. It's the law, Get it? baby. It's the law. It's Xander loves this it. This is what you're. This is what you're learning about in school. You all can't see this, but this Xander is, loves this it. This is your homework. How about that? That's it. <laughs> Good night.